Hello, welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Monday afternoon. Um, I'm in Phoenix, where I've been at the uh, Suns Media Day. We're going to have a number of folks uh, join the pod today who've been dispersed in media days around the country. But first, we're joined from Camden, Massachusetts, where the Celtics were today, Tim Buntemps. Hello there, Brian. How are you? You've got a wild travel day. You're get, you're trying to get from Camden, Massachusetts to Charleston, South Carolina, a very typical NBA um, routing, right? Very, very typical. Yes. Very typical. Sixers. So it's uh, going to be in a, I was in San Francisco. Uh, I was in San Jose until Saturday. Then I was in New York for about four hours. Then I came to Boston. Now I'm in Boston for a day and then I'm going to Charleston for the week. So. That's where the Sixers are. You're not going on vacation, just to be clear. That's where the Sixers. The Sixers are having training camp in in, uh, Charleston, South Carolina, which was going to be an interesting thing and has been replaced by a few other interesting things as the top item of uh, discussion. Yeah, you and me were on those interesting things today. Let's start with what happened in Boston. Uh, Obviously, the Ime Udoka situation is on everyone's mind there. Tell me what your takeaways were from what the Celtics players and coaches were talking about today. I mean, the, the thing that really stood out to me, Brian, was that the the Celtics players are in as much of the dark about this as everybody else. Um, and I, I didn't really know what to think of that. I guess it didn't occur to me to think about how much the players might have known or not known. But several of them said they learned about it on social media when our colleague Adrian Wojnarowski first broke the news that. Imi Udoka was potentially going to be suspended for a violation of team rules last week. Um, They said they met with the front office and I assume, you know, they didn't say directly. I would assume it was Brad Stevens and ownership on Thursday and didn't really get much more than was in the statement that the team put out. And even today, a lot of them are seemingly as much in the dark as everybody else. And, you know, I thought it was noteworthy that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown both said they haven't spoke to Imi Udoka since this all went down. Um, Joe Missoula, the interim coach indicated didn't exactly clearly say it, but indicated he had spoken to Ime Udoka since then. And it just, it was understandably a organization that is trying to come to grips with what has been a pretty chaotic four or five days and certainly is not what any of them expected when this news broke. Remember this broke late on a Wednesday night here on the East coast. And Marcus Smart said Emi Odoka had been out to L.A., had met with the players like they were all thinking things were going to just go into the season as normal. And then, you know, four days before training camp, their entire team gets thrown up in the air and all this happens. So that was really what stood out to me was just the entire group trying to still come to grips with what's happened and then process it and try to move forward into what is one of the most anticipated seasons in the NBA this year. These guys are projected to be an NBA finals contender to win a potential championship. And now they're doing it with, you know, an interim head coach who's the youngest coach in the league. And, you know, their starting center had surgery. We'll get to that. I mean, there's just there's just chaos all around this team right now. Okay. So one of the things that came out in uh <clears throat> excuse me, one of the things that came out in Wick Grusbach, the uh team's principal owner, his press conference that he had with Brad Stevens last week, he said that this investigation was several months long. I think he said it had been going on for uh, months, several. I, I think, think. It, I think, yeah, I think it was, I think several weeks, I, I think is more a proper. I think he said several months. 
Yeah, well, I'm not sure. But it wasn't short. Regardless, it was going on for a while. It didn't start right. last week. Right. And it, it, it seemed like um, the players didn't know about it. It seemed like it was kept very quiet within the organization, um, which um, I think that's probably a good thing because you want to have an investigation done like that, but it um, creates um, this sudden change. I mean, you call him an interim head coach. An interim head coach that starts on day one of training camp. That's kind of a, that, that kind of is a contradiction in terms. Yep. Um, but a coach who, I don't know if he had a chance to even prepare for this concept. Um, how did Joe Missoula, I don't even know what his voice sounds like. So um, I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to have to learn. I know what he looks like, but I'm going to have to learn right. what his voice. I, I don't, you know, it's, 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 it's crazy. You know, his situation, he's well-respected within the Celtics organization. Um, he started working there seven or so years ago for their G league team. Let me, get, let me In, give a real, let me give a yeah. real quick breakdown. Cause it's a little complicated. So Joe Missoula played at West Virginia was a, you know, was part of the Bob Huggins teams got recruited there by John Beeline. Um, he then spent five years working for um, division two colleges in West Virginia, a couple different schools. He gets hired where by the Celtics. A, where he was he the head hired, coach? Well, he was later. So he was an assistant yeah. for four or five years at two different schools, one of them being Fairmont State, which he returned to. Then he went to the G League, worked for the main Red Claws, Boston's G League team in 2016-17. He then goes back to Fairmont State where he's hired as the head coach. He was the head coach there for two years. And then in 2019, Brad Stevens hires him to be an assistant coach with the Celtics. So he has been with the Celtics for the past three years. He was with them for a year before that. So he's not a guy that's unfamiliar to the guys here. But yeah, I mean, look, this is a guy who was coaching in a small town in West Virginia three years ago and is now coaching a team that a month ago was the favorite to win the championship. I mean, it's a pretty stunning turn of events all the way around he's never coached a game on the bench in the nba he's always been behind the bench that's unheard of he did coach as you mentioned in division two and he also was there he also coached summer league yep he also coached summer league now he's a guy Uh that has had as you said has had a lot of a a lot of respect around the league um the celtics made a point of keeping him on the staff last year Doka essentially hired a brand new staff everybody else just about left he's one of the few guys that stayed he got a lot of credit for work he did last year during the season. He was in, he interviewed with Danny Ainge with the Jazz for their head coaching position. It was one of the finals for that job. And when they hired Will Hardy off of uh, Emi Udoka's staff, they wanted to also hire Joe Mazzulla to be an assistant on Will Hardy's staff, and the Celtics kept him. So they have liked him all the way through. Um, he does have a very calm presence. I thought he um, acquitted himself pretty well today. He talked about the two arrests. He had back at West Virginia in 2008 and 2009 when he was in college and said he's not perfect. He's made mistakes, but he's used those incidents to become a better person as time has gone by. Brad Stevens alluded to the same thing last week when he was asked about the vetting process of hiring Joe Missoula in the wake of those incidents. Um, and, and I think he do has he, he has a personality that I could see meshing very well with Brad Stevens. He's got a quiet demeanor, um, you know, confident in himself. Was said he believes in as much in his ability to do this job as Brad Stevens said last week. But, you know, and all the players like him and I think respect him, but it's a huge challenge that he's taken on. And this is an unprecedented situation in many, many ways. 
And, you know, the Celtics were a team that had, you know, when I did my survey a few weeks ago, they were seen as having one of the best off seasons in the league. There was, they had their top eight players come back. They traded for Malcolm Brogdon. They added Danilo Gallinari. They seemed to have depth and they had continuity from last season. They figured things out over the second half of the year. And now all that's been thrown up in the air and they have to try to figure out how to move forward, not only with an interim head coach, but with Gallinari out for the season and with Robert Williams out for at least the next three months with knee surgery. Right. So it's We're just talk about that in a minute. Crazy. Did the player, did the players offer any like comment on email? Not like really support. Not really. Anything? I mean, Marcus Smart said, I mean, they all said it was so they all said some version of it was a very unfortunate situation for everybody involved. Marcus Smart said it's not like this takes away from what he did last year with the team, um, you know, turn their season around, get into the finals. You know, he still, uh, you know, still has a lot of affection for Ime. Um, but all of them were essentially just in the dark on it. I mean, the, the common refrain was we can't really comment on this because we don't know what to comment on. We don't have any information. And I, I guess I really hadn't thought about what they would say today. I mean, I kind of wondered, but I hadn't really thought about the idea that they wouldn't know anything. And it makes sense. Like if you're going to have an investigation like this, the, the whole organization clearly isn't going to know about it, but it just was interesting to hear sort of all of them kind of grasping for how to describe how they felt about it. Cause it's sort, they sort of didn't, they just, it was just an absence of information all the way around. Yeah. And I think it makes an already complex situation that much more complicated for them. Yeah. I think it makes their preseason, you know, to a team like them preseason is sort of, you know, really, you know, especially when you're planning on playing into late May, June preseason is very much of a, um, you know, for a team in their level, it's, it's just sort of checking the boxes. They can't do that now. Now they have to have a real productive knuckle down focus. And I'm sure their veterans understand that, but it was not the way they were building their mindset up. You know, like the warriors are about to leave to go to Tokyo. You know, I doubt the warriors preseason is going to be that teaching intensive. I think they're going right. to have a good time in Tokyo. Um, now the Celtics preseason becomes like super duper important. This training camp becomes super duper important. Not because I think Missoula is going to like install these new systems, but they have to create some sort of rhythm, but they're not going to have Robert Williams, but go right. ahead. No, I was going to say was the only, the other thing I thought that was noteworthy from what Missoula said, and it's not exactly a surprise, but he made it very clear that he's not coming in and trying to reinvent the wheel here. Like he was part of the staff that helped turn everything around last year other than will hardy all those guys are back i don't think the celtics are going to be doing anything drastically different from an in-game standpoint than they did last year you might see some tweaks here i mean obviously injuries aside we'll get to that in a minute um but i think short of that you're hi jalen brown jalen brown's looking Hello, at Jaylen. you like what's Jaylen going walks on? by um i think you're generally going to see things look uh look the same from an on-court standpoint this year as as you did last year um, but this is a guy who hasn't coached any games in the NBA. Uh, it's a, you know, it's a whole new situation. It's a, a bench that is going to have to adjust to that. And it's just a lot for the Celtics to make up for. And that's before we even get to the, what we're about to talk about now with Robert Williams. Okay. So they announced last week he had, he had surgery initially. It was reported he was going to have a scope and be out four to six after the surgery, uh, after the press conference, they put out a, Friday news dump, so to speak, that uh, he was actually going to be out eight to 12 weeks. 
Well, and, and just to just to clarify, it's not out eight to twelve weeks. It's a return to basketball activities in eight to twelve weeks. That to me would indicate this is not going to be out eight to twelve weeks and back. That to me is going to indicate right. you're going to get back on the court in eight to twelve weeks, and you're going to have to ramp up from there. This is the same same knee he had surgery on last spring, which he had to come back from to play in the playoffs, which he came back from well, but was hampered. Um, he re-injured it, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Well, um, he had, he had, had surgery on his meniscus the end of March. He came back in three and a half weeks, and then he played on it during the playoffs, but was up and down, missed seven games during the playoffs. Some games would look incredible. Some games would look like he could hardly walk on it. And, you know, he made a point of saying today that it was his decision to come back and play. He had absolutely no regrets about it. Got asked about it multiple times, said, um, you know, I one of my dreams was playing the NBA finals. I did that at 24 years old. And, I'll, you know, there, there's you will roll with what happens as a result of that. But, you know, back at the end of the regular at the end of the playoffs, he St- Brad Stevens, any Miyadoka all said he wasn't going to need surgery on that knee. Russ is going to take care of it. He'd be ready to go. And, you know, he obfuscated a little bit today. And eventually I asked him, you know, did what change between then and now? And he essentially admitted that it didn't feel the way he wanted it to after the time he took off. So they decided to have surgery on it. But two surgeries on the same knee in seven months is not great or six months. And, you know, again, now he's out for a minimum of eight to 12 weeks and probably longer. And this is a guy who might've been the defensive player of the year this year. It's a huge thing for them. Yeah. You know, I'm not an orthopedist, so I can't even begin to hazard. I will say that I guess you could, I guess you could position it by saying, look, if he was going to be playing on a bad knee throughout the year, you're better off having it corrected. Although you wish you would have had it corrected a while ago, but okay. You know, let's say he doesn't get back to basketball for three months. Let's say, He's out until mid to late January. Still plenty of time for the Celtics purposes. Um, but as you said, it's it's concerning. This guy's a vital, vital part of their team. The difference that they were defensively with him on the court and off in the playoffs was night and day, as anybody who watched the playoffs saw. And it's just um, it's really worrisome. You know, their big man position, you know, they traded, not that I thought that Daniel Tice was like a difference maker, but no, he was a guy that could play for them. So their center position is is just a lot thinner than it was. I mean, Daniel Tice played minutes in the playoffs last year. It well, wasn't look, big one minutes. of the, the Celtics didn't have everybody talk to the media today. One of the guys who talked to the media was Luke Cornette, who is now going to play a very significant role for this team. I mean, remember, Al Horford is in his mid-30s. I don't think the Celtics are going to want him playing in back-to-backs. I think they were going to try to limit his minutes as it was, right? So now you have Robert Williams out. You have Al Horford, you're trying to limit. Luke Cornett is probably going to play really significant minutes for this team now. And he was treated like that kind of player today at, at media day. So I think that, you know, well, that just sort say, of underscores where they're at. You know, for many, many playoff games last year, we would be out on the court doing TV well before the game. You know, six o'clock, you know, the games would be at eight. We would be mm-hmm. out there at 530 doing PTI. We'd be out there at six o'clock sports center. And Luke Cornett would be out there with the other Celtics players who were not playing, working out. And he looked good in those pickup games. It's kind of like last week I said, hey, Dean Wade looks kind of good in the Cavs pickup game I watched. He got a contract extension. 
Luke Cornett looked good against the other non-playing players. So, um, I mean, the Celtics are the Celtics are excited about him. They're also excited about Sam Hauser, who a lot of fans don't know about, but is a you know a six-nine wing who can shoot it really well. I mean, I think there's some in the organization I think who hope that he can fill the sort of role that Danilo Gallinari was supposed to for them off the bench. Um, they've got a bunch of veteran guys, Noah Vonley, some other guys who bounce around the league who are in fighting for a couple of their roster spots at the end of the roster who can maybe help a little bit. But look, like I said, a month ago, literally a month ago today, this team was the deepest team in the league, had all eight guys from last year's finals run back, had added Danilo Gallinari, had added Malcolm Brogdon, had Emu Odoka back, had everything rolling. And a month later, they have a new coach. They have Gallinari out for the year. They have Robert Williams out for probably half the year and things just look completely different. Another thing before we talk about the Suns, um, Jalen Brown was asked today about the rumors that I don't think the rumors, I mean, I don't think anybody denies it, that he was discussed in a possible trade for Kevin Durant. Now I dealt with Durant trade discussion here today in Phoenix um, as well. And I would have to leave, I think (laughs) probably um, Kevin Durant was not traded. So um, it really no, doesn't not. matter who was who was offered, but that's also not real life. I don't think the Nets were ever going to trade him, quite frankly. Um, so we can talk about offering 35 first round picks and every right. player and whatever, but the, the, that's not real life. Real life was the guy knows that he got um, offered in a trade or discussed in a trade, whatever the word offers sets people off. So I'll take that back. Um, what did he have to say about that? I mean, the thing that was most interesting that he said was that, you know, it's sort of been the case for him since he got here. And I think that's referring to the last time his name has come up in trade discussions, whether it was for Anthony Davis or Kawhi Leonard or at other points early in his career, um, when the idea of him getting traded was talked about. And so, you know, look, I mean, Jalen has you know been here his whole career. He's grown into one of the best two-way wings in the league. Him and Jason Tatum, you know, probably, the, I would guess, the second best combination of two-way of, of wing players in the league behind only Kawhi Leonard and um, Paul George. I get maybe some people would say Devin Booker and Mikhail Bridges. I'd rather have these two guys. I mean, they're um, they obviously led this team to the finals last year. Uh, I think they've got a chance, even with the Robert Williams injury, I think they've got a chance to be a really good team this year. I think they can go deep in the playoffs still, despite everything that's happened. Um, you know, and Jalen essentially said, I talked to everybody and that's in the past and I'm, I'm here to play basketball. And I, I think ultimately, I mean, look, the next two years are huge for Jalen Brown. He could be a free agent in 2024. The Celtics are going to be one of the best teams in the league. He's got a chance to make all NBA this year or next year. If he does, he's in line to get a huge payday as a super max extension eligible player. And the Celtics are obviously hoping and believe they can still win a championship. So, you know, I think there's a ton for him to play for and a ton for the Celtics to do. And I think everybody is, uh, is ready to do that. Let's move to my little joyful day here in Phoenix. Um, I have covered media day for 20 years. I have flash. Brian like, is old. That's right. There's lots of gray <laughs> coming in here. Um, gray in the quaff. Uh, yeah. Uh, I have been to 10 or 12 different teams, media days. I have never been to a media day that has had the absolute absence of enthusiasm 
than was today here in Phoenix. I think I think I might uh, I think I might have tied you here. <laughs> okay, well that's what I'm saying. Like, uh, but I kind of th- I didn't think it was they were going to be doing handsprings, but I kind of thought that there might be like a all right, let's it's Sarver's in the past. Let's focus on the future. But that was absolutely not the case. I. I could call it that it was like a funeral, but that implies that they're sad that Robert Sarver is gone. I don't necessarily think I would hundred percent classify it. So let me pivot to saying it felt like a dentist's waiting room. Um, and the players going up to the podium looked like they were about to have teeth pulled. Um, uh, this team has a 64 win team from last year and 90% of 95% of them are back. Um, they are still loaded. They are absolutely a championship contender and they don't have to worry about Sarver anymore. And it felt like this team was down three Oh, uh, in a playoff series down 30 points, uh, and going into the fourth quarter game four. Now today is day one. It doesn't matter how they feel today. It matters how they feel at the start of the season. And I suspect that there will be an attempt by everybody to rally spirits starting when they have a team meeting and dinner tonight. But I cannot even articulate how grim the mood was at this. Um, and why do you feel that off, was the case? So first off, uh, these guys, first, off, it sounded like they were all in some level of surprise and or shock about this, what this report said. When James Jones, the general manager said it, and then Monty Williams said it. I kind of was like, said, that sounds to be clear. Said, to be clear, said what? Said that they, that they were, in, they, were sh- they were shocked at what they read. They were surprised at what was in that report. And I was like, I th- initially I felt that that was disingenuous because do they think that Baxter, do they really think that Baxter Holmes completely made that up? Like they thought there was no chance that like if, if somebody had, had written that report and that came out about Greg Popovich, I would have been shocked, but coming out about Robert Sarver, based on what you've heard from about Robert Sarver, maybe the actual details, maybe the usage of some words, maybe the actual phrases, maybe that was surprising, but like we've read about this guy, we've heard stories about this guy, you know, I mean, Baxter's reporting was basically corroborated by the report. That's right. I mean, come on. I was like that. I don't really buy that either. I felt like they were being disingenuous, like they were just saying that they were shocked to sort of satisfy what the expectation was. But Tim, the guys kept saying it. And then Devin Booker comes up there and I want to get exactly what he said. Right. Um, And by the way, I thought Devin Booker was the most candid of everybody. I think, uh, Everybody was very guarded today, particularly also the guy that's known Sarver the longest there. I mean, he's been right. there his whole career. He's been there, you know, since 2014. I mean, that's, you know, he's coming on nine that's years. Right. It's a long time. That's right. And um, uh, I, Chris Paul was the most guarded, as you'd expect. Um, <laughs> Chris Paul was even guarded. You know, somebody asked him, you know, <clears throat> what he wanted to see potentially in a new owner. And he wouldn't even answer that question because he basically admitted, well, someday I want to be an owner. So I'm not going to you know, say something that could hurt me, use me later. Yeah. But so, so I, I think that Devin was, um, was the most candid, but he said, it's tough for me because that's not the Robert Sarver that I know. It's not the Robert that welcomes me to Phoenix with open arms. 
And at the same time, I'm not insensitive to everybody that's involved in the situation. I understand everybody's personal experience with other people is going to be different. Um, you know, uh, but like, he, he, I, I, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I thought the other guys were maybe being disingenuous, but in his case, I thought he was being completely honest with the way he, the way he said. And so that made me kind of wonder if I was reading it right. James Jones um, said, you know, we know I was here when the report came out, the day the report came out, and we were wondering if the players might take some action at that time, like they did with Donald Sterling. The report lacked the kind of visual and audio evidence the Donald Sterling report did. So at the time, the players and the coaches um, basically said they would wait for the investigation. They said they, you know, there would be due process, and that's and that's reasonable. Um, but at the time, James Jones put out a statement saying this is not the Robert Sarver that I know. And he reiterated that today, saying that isn't the Robert Sarver that I have known. You know, at the time, I asked Monty Williams about coming to Phoenix when he had the Lakers job sitting there for him. And, you know, I don't think the Lakers offer was um, quite the same as the Phoenix offer, but I don't, I don't think it was just about contract. And, and he said, no, Robert Sarver played a role in getting him to come here. And so, like, these, these guys were, like, you know, really – you know, just, you can tell they didn't know how to feel about it. Um, and it was, the mood was dour. The mood was dour. And that wasn't just because of Sarver. Um, DeAndre Ayton, who can be a little quiet at times, but, you know, I have known since he has been a rookie. I mean, we're not that close, but I've interviewed him for five years now. I know him whenever we, we, we speak, not on the podiums and stuff. And he was, like he would barely say six words to any question. Um, there is no question some scar tissue about the way his contract went down. He basically said, it's all business. I don't want to take any steps backwards. Um, even when he was asked about Sarver, he gave very short answers. Um, he was, I mean, for a guy, I mean, I'm not expecting, again, I'm not expecting him to turn handsprings, but there was not a smile for an hour and a half in that room on media day. Well, when, the other part, the other, there's another thing you haven't mentioned either, which I'm sure oh, played a role in that too. Oh, I got a long list of things that are going on with this <laughs> organization. Um, but, you know, and I did talk to DeAndre after, and uh, he did, I said, I congratulated him on his contract. And I, I was, he did smile. And I was like, I'm, I'm glad you at least smiled once today. Um, I think he did come in and do some other stuff at media day. I think the guys were in the, in the big room with the cameras. I think they were a little, they felt a little bit under pressure because they knew their answers were going to be highly watched today. Sure. But he was, he was, I mean, there's no way you walk away from today thinking that everything's a okay there. Now, again, that doesn't mean that it can't be. And by the way, these guys have been with each other for weeks now. It's not like they all got together yesterday. They've been at the facility working out. Um, Today, they were in their uniforms in front of the cameras for the first time, but it wasn't like they hadn't seen each other all summer. Aiton's been here working out. Um, Monty Williams was like, oh, yeah, as soon as I heard about that offer shoot, I knew we were going to match. We all we were never losing him. And I was like, I mean, I guess you're never going to lose him. But, I mean, you basically, you know, he played a hand of poker with him and, you know, he won. So there's some scar tissue with that. There's some scar tissue with the way last season ended with the game seven loss to the Mavericks where they completely got blown out on the court. Um, there was a question asked to Monty Williams about the rumors that 
There was COVID on the roster at that time. One of the team's assistant coaches did not coach in that game because he had COVID. And Monty Williams said, I can't get into that. It's private medical information. I can't get into that. So it was a non-denial denial. denial. Um, That was addressed. Um, So uh, what else am I missing, Tim? I got, I got Sarver. I got Aiton's contract. I got, I mean, it has to be a thing. Like in this off season, Devin Booker got extended 224 million. Monty Williams got extended. James Jones got extended. DeAndre Ayton, despite all of it, got 130 million. Not a to, to quote Seinfeld, not a ha ha, not a tee hee. Nobody asked Monty and James Jones about their contract extensions. And yep. Booker got asked about it like about seven questions in. And um well, there's also is, another guy that has been their starting power uh, yes. the past I haven't, two years. I, that, I forgot yeah. about that. Jay Crowder. Yes. So Jay Crowder is not here. Yes. Um, Jay Crowder put out a hype video, uh, including you, uh, actually, yeah. highlight, uh, hyping up his uh, quest to leave the Suns. It's an interesting <laughs> move on a lot of levels. Well, as far as I can tell, yes, Jay Crowder. I forgot about the whole Jay Crowder thing. Everybody spoke very um, uh, pro forma about Jay Crowder today. James Jones says, we've had conversations. They're going to remain private. Monty Williams said, these things happen in the NBA. Uh, Chris Paul says, I always support my teammates. All things Um, that are true. Yes. Um, From what I understand, and this has been floating out there, I didn't anticipate he wouldn't come to training camp, but um, sometime after the season ended, the Suns let Jay Crowder know that his role might be changing for this year, that he was probably not going to start, that Cam Johnson was probably going to start over him or somebody else, maybe not necessarily Cam. Mm-hmm. And that, mm-hmm. you know, his role may not be, you know, he may not be guaranteed to finish games and stuff anymore. And Jay was going in the last year of his contract, wasn't thrilled with that, and said, Hey, if there's an accommodation, you can trade me somewhere where I could fit. Let's do that. And so for some period of time, and I think it was, I'll go ahead and say, I think it was months, but certainly weeks. The Suns knew that and they had talks with teams and they were looking for a Crowder trade. They absolutely talked to the Jazz about uh, Boyan Bogdanovich. It wasn't necessarily a Crowder for uh, Bogdanovich trade, although it is interesting that the trade that Danny Ainge made, he traded for a former player of his from the Celtics with Kelly Olenek. I, and he has you know, players think, he likes, and he goes and tries to acquire players he likes. So and he, and he likes Jake, and he likes Jay Crowder too. Right. So um, but I do think Crowder kind of changed the dynamic of this when he requested to not come to camp, which the team is not sort of blaming him for, but um not holding out from camp and not playing is a bit of a change. And now I wonder, like I said, everybody was cordial, but now I wonder whether or not there's going to be a focus on sending Jay someplace where he is a great fit. Now, a lot of teams would be interested in Jay Crowder, especially contenders. He's a, he's only 32. He, he did not play well in the playoffs last year. Um, but the last time I saw the Suns, Bontemps, last time I was with the Suns was in New Orleans. They had just ended that series in six games. Oh, yes. The players are wearing the F.J. Crowder shirts. Everybody's in a good mood. Chris Paul went like, what was he, 17 of 
<laughs> I think it was yep. 16 of 16 that night or something, something from the field. Something like that. Everybody acknowledged the Pelicans had played well. They were moving on. Jay Crowder, everybody was wearing the shirts. Everybody was in was in good stead. And I was shipped off to Boston, Milwaukee for that series. I come back today. Jay Crowder's like, screw this team. You know, I'm out of here. And nobody's got a smile. It's all one giant straight faces of frowns. Right. Um, wow. What a, I mean, that's the NBA. It happens. But even under those parameters, this was something well, pretty, pretty wild. Well, in the Jay Crowder situation is interesting too, Brian, right? Because like you're correct. He's a guy that every good team will want to have on their team. That also includes the Suns. And the tricky part about this for them is, you know, if you're if you're the Phoenix Suns and you're trading away a good player, and Jay Crowder, even last year's playoffs aside, good player at a viable position, if you're trading him away, um, when you've got a team that's trying to win a championship this year, you got to be getting guys back that can help you win this year. You can't be getting, you know, like Danny Green's out for the season in Memphis. This is a totally hypothetical thing. You can't get Danny Green in a first for Jay Crowder if you're the Suns. Like you need to get somebody that can play for you right now. And so that that is what I think is going to make a really challenging situation for them to resolve because I'm, it, you know, like you said, there's definitely going to be interest in Jay Crowder, but is there going to be interest in Jay Crowder with the kind of offer coming back to Phoenix that can give them players that can help them win today? Because there, I don't think there's going to be a lot of interest in some flat, some salary and a pick. Like, I, I don't think this which team is, is going to make why, itself work on the court, worse on the court right. going into this year. Which is which is why he hasn't been traded yet because it's not that people don't value him or teams don't want him. It's that the Suns have a certain standard that they're going to need back in a trade. And that's obviously a factor. And, and to your point, I do think when, when the player goes, you know, I don't want to say goes public because this is, you know, clearly both sides made an arrangement with the Suns putting out a statement last night, but when it gets to this sort of stage and it is public, then, there are more things that come into play. More teams get involved. There is, there is more things in the works now probably than before. But, you know, it, it certainly is going to be interesting to see um, what happens there because I don't think it's as simple as um, you just add this guy, you know, you just go find a trade for this guy and move on tomorrow. Like, uh, it wouldn't shock me if we get to um, mid-October and we're getting ready for the season. Jake Crowder's still a son, and he might even be back playing with them for – at least part of the year, if not more. So, you know, well, that we'll doesn't feel that way right now. I know, but it's also the NBA. And as you know, these things go in a lot of directions. We, we were back on, we were together in New York city when all the Kevin Durant stuff started, uh, um, back on June 30th, you know, and Kyrie before that, I mean, you probably would have made a lot of money at the time predicting both of those guys are going to end up playing for the Brooklyn Nets this season. And, here we sit. So, okay, Bontemps, off you go to Charleston. Thank you for joining us. We'll we'll talk to you uh, later this week. Sounds good, buddy. For the ones who get it done, Ranger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click ranger.com or just stop by. Now let's talk about the play of the week. 
the pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Now joining us from New York, Nick Friedel was at Brooklyn Nets Media Day. Um, Nick, how'd it go? What a day. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I've walked out with a new best friend. So that's fun. I heard Kyrie declared that by the, well, what did Kyrie declare to you today? Well, before I could even get into what I was going to ask him, he was like, you and I, we're going to be best friends before this all said and done at, at the end of the season, it's going to be a big hug. And I was like, uh, you know, that's, that's great. Kyrie. <laughs> that's great. After everything we've been through uh, over the last few months with all the back and forth on the questions that, it was a needed moment of levity in what was a tense at times uh, day, I think, for the entire organization. Forget Kyrie and what he was going through, and there was the layer of the Kevin stuff, and this is the first time that Ben Simmons had talked to the assembled media about where he was at and Sean Marks and Steve Nash. There was just a lot of layers today in Brooklyn and B that's how it is with this team. There's always a lot going on on a lot of levels. Okay. So let's start with Durant. Um, it's the first time Durant has talked. Uh, we're taking questions. I should say since his trade demand, um, he, I was doing the sun, so I didn't see it, but I saw some of his quotes. He seemed to be pretty direct. I mean, how would you describe how he addressed the situation? Yeah, for sure. Uh, he said, look, Part of the reason that I asked for the deal was because things weren't uh, <laughs> weren't always great here last year. And he admitted that he had doubts about the direction of the group. He didn't point it in any one direction. He, he thought that people weren't being held accountable uh, sometimes for what yeah, they, he kind of referenced Steve Nash on that, didn't he? He kind of referenced Steve Nash on that? I, in the moment, I didn't think that. I think he just meant uh, the the whole team was was going in a lot of different ways, but I can see that. If somebody is yeah. is trying to read between the lines, you can you can look at it a lot of All different ways. I was just places. reading. I didn't see him say it, so I don't want to – don't hold me to that. No, I, I, I there is – when you have a, 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 a screw-up at the level which the Nets did – there's blame everywhere. But what was interesting to me wasn't just that Kevin said, ah, I thought about leaving and that's why I did what I did. It was that I said, Were you, are you surprised that you're still here? And he said, no, because the thing I always appreciated about the way Marks and Joe Sy, the Nets owner, handled everything was that they said, we're not just going to give you up for nothing. We're not just going to give you up to move you. And what that told me as I'm sitting there is, you and I spent hours upon hours talking about this through the summer. The Nets didn't like what they were getting back. And for a caliber of player at the level which Kevin is, he knew what his worth was to the rest of the league or what his perceived worth 
is. Right. So here's how I would term that. You shoot this down if you want to feel right. The answer, the reason that the Nets gave Durant for why they didn't trade him is because we couldn't get your value. And it appears that for the time being, Kevin has accepted that answer. Mm -hmm. I think that is a a good way to put it. I also, which means that the Nets in some ways played it well by asking for the sun, the moon, and the stars, and then saying, well, they only offered the sun. Um, the other thing I would say is that he, well, I don't, I don't want to go too far with that. I'll wait. But um, he definitely seemed to be saying he's recommitted, right? He said, I'm committed for these four years. I mean, I, don't, I find it reasonable that he thought he was signing with Kyrie and Harden, and we're going to bring that up in one second. Uh, but that was not unreasonable for him to say. Um, to, to, to say, well, you know, why did you sign for four years a year ago and then one out? My read, having listened to everybody all day, was not that Kevin uh, is, is now going to be here for four years. I think he was saying when he did sign for four years, he thought it would be Team A with him. Harden, Kyrie, uh, without the vaccination mandate, and, and everybody else coming behind him. The weird part as we're trying to pull takeaways from uh, media day B is that the Nets, and I wasn't here at last media day, but I listened to them every day from January on. It was always championship. We want to win a championship. We believe we have enough. Even after the Harden-Simmons deal, we believe we have enough to win a championship. There was no talk about that uh, from really anybody right now. It was more, hey, let's just get on the floor and let's see how we do. And it's been an emotional, rough summer for everybody involved. But let's see what happens here moving forward. And that was really interesting from Kevin on down. It's not that they don't think they can be successful. They absolutely believe that. It's just that this summer was so tumultuous. And there are so many questions on so many different levels that everybody's kind of like, all right, let's see how it looks on the floor. And let's cross all the different bridges when we get there. What did, how did Kyrie term the summer? He said the summer was hell. Is that what he said? I, I want to be exact. So I would tell you that I don't remember for sure if he said the summer was hell. What I, what, what the word that definitely popped up was cluster. Oh, that's right. Oh, boy. Now Jackson's got to edit. I'm sorry, Jackson. Uh, it, but that was the, it, I, was, it was a cluster. You don't hear that word in general on the record too often. But if we were summing up the net summer, I thought that was the perfect terminology. Well, here's something else that I, that I walked away from. It sounded like, and I'm not a hundred percent certain, but it sounded like what I read was that Durant and Kyrie weren't working together on his contract. And it sounded like Kyrie found out that Kevin had asked for a trade, you know, after he did, like, it didn't sound like they were working together. I don't think they broke apart or ever. I think they always support each other, but it didn't sound like that was, they were, you know, working on the same side in those things. And that backs up what I was told several times, uh, even in the last couple of months, B, which is Kevin and Kyrie are very close. They've got a solid relationship. They are not always as close as it was made out to be publicly. And and Kyrie acknowledged, look, I'm always going to be happy for Kevin. I want what's best for him. 
I want him to be here, but if he wasn't going to be here and that didn't make him happy in his basketball life, then I had to deal with him going somewhere else. So I think the, the talk in the moment as we're trying to kind of weave through all that happened dating back to the summer, that Kyrie and Kevin were completely connected and and, Ky- and Kevin was upset about Kyrie's contract. That was all way overblown. Kevin felt like he had to do what was best for him. At the beginning of the summer and into the summer, it was getting the hell out of Brooklyn as things started to calm down a little bit more. And he realized out of his own mouth and like the moves that Sean Marks had made, he realized. He did say that. He said part of the reason he decided to come back was he liked the summer. I've said this several times. I actually thought their summer was good, although I needed a scorecard today. It was like, okay, Joe Harris has been cleared to play. Seth Curry, surgery, hasn't been cleared to play. TJ Warren says he's okay, hasn't been cleared to play. That was, But uh, obviously Royce O'Neal, uh, that trade, and uh, bringing back Patty Mills, signing TJ Warren. Um, you know, I did think they had a good summer. Uh, um, so um, that sentiment, I think, was somewhat meaningful. I think it really was for the short term. The big question that I would have and anybody who has watched this team since Kyrie came back, frankly, in January is, okay, everybody's on the same page today and there is optimism today. But what happens when things start to go sideways as they always do during an 82-game season? And that's only something that we can know as we watch the events play out. But I can tell you, having sat here and I'm still here as we speak, B. The, the feeling in that room was like when two parents decide they're going to get divorced. The divorce is going to happen. And then they, they start talking and they say, well, you know what? We want to stick together because we feel like that's in the best interest of our family, that everything has to keep moving forward. But you can't just forget about all the stuff that happened. To get what you I to think that you're, point. what you, I think you're dancing around is the phrase "you're only as faithful as your options." There you go. And Kyrie today said he, you know, he didn't have that many options, and he said uh, he was I real think, close to leaving. With all due respect, I mean that's fine, but he didn't leave. Right. You know, I, I think someone asked him, you know, would you have left for the minimum? And he's like, you know, I had options, but he didn't really have options. That's not a realistic option to leave 30, whatever million on the table to go sign for the taxpayer mid-level exception. That's not a real option. Um, he did say something very interesting today that I want to bring up about what choosing to be unvaccinated cost him. Um, what did he say about that? He said, and this is the first time I can remember him disclosing it publicly, that prior to last season, there was an offer on the table for four years, a hundred plus million dollars. You'd have to imagine the four-year max at that point. And it was made clear to him, if you get the vaccine, here's the extension. And in his words, it was an ultimatum. Get the vaccine. Here's your extension. Everything's set. By choosing not to get the vaccine, everybody focuses on what happened last season. Kyrie's whole point is that it's not about just last season. It's about that he turned down the guaranteed dollars 
that he's still looking for right now. And Sean Marks tried to clean it up a little bit uh, a couple hours later and saying it wasn't an ultimatum. It wasn't like we said, here's the deal. But Kyrie couldn't have been much clearer. Well, I think about they were it. like, look, we can't talk about a contract extension until you're pl- until you're playing for the team. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, what Mark said was once the vaccination mandate came down in New York City, the talk stalled completely. And so it, it was a dance of semantics. Well, did you pull the offer? Was it all about the vaccination? Again, Kyrie said exactly what he meant, which is by doing what he did and not getting the vaccine, he he turned down the guarantee that he's now looking for still. So Marx is saying uh, Kyrie's committed. We believe he's going to have a big year. Kyrie, having seen him uh, up and down throughout last season, seemed like he was in really good spirits, and he's confident that the deal will be there when he wants it next summer. But that acknowledgement was really something because when you're turning down that type of money for making the decision that he made, it just shows you how, how deep he felt about the choice not to get vaccinated. Well, to go back, cause I was at Nets media day last year. Um, when Duran extended Sean Marks pretty much led to believe that Kyrie and Harden were going to follow they never got out of the starting blocks with Kyrie, although he could have extended before then. It was a short off season, um, and he wasn't vaccinated, and that was a growing problem. And James Harden on media day last year, he didn't say the words, I'm not going to extend, but he essentially said, I'm not going to extend, both on the podium and in, um, in a sit-down interview with Malika Andrews, who was there at the time. And... Um, it's been assumed that Harden, I should say, it's been assumed by some that Harden didn't extend because of the Kyrie situation. I'm not sure that's true. I, you know, Harden was leaving himself open to options and also would have earned himself more money by not extending. So, but I have to take a reasonable guess that if Durant extended with the belief that those two guys were going to extend, that at least some conversation was had with Harden. But Harden, you know, on media day, those guys thought that the Kyrie thing would be a short-term issue, that it was going to get solved. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet Harden was still saying he wasn't going to extend. So just for history purposes, and look, he, Harden might have extended this last summer with, with Brooklyn. So, but um, before we go, what about what Ben Simmons said today? He did not say that much I felt like in any depth he, he obviously was on JJ Reddick's podcast last week uh, he was he was much more <laughs> insightful in what he wanted to say uh, the key takeaway from Simmons was I'm healthy I'm ready to start training camp uh, we can be really dangerous out there on the floor when we're together meaning himself Kyrie and KD but B this ties into the whole theme of the Nets right now they've got to prove it And Simmons can say whatever he wants about feeling like he's in a good place mentally, physically. He feels like mentally he's done a lot of work on himself. That's all well and good. But the Nets have to do it day after day after day. And Simmons took at least the first step he needed to uh, in this moment to move forward and and be a full-time member of the team. Was there anything said about 
Steve Nash being, uh, Durant asking for Nash to be fired. Did Nash address that at all? Nash didn't really address it. Marks did to a point, and the answer was, hey, this is the NBA. Crazy stuff happens. <laughs> you know what? That's a cop-out answer, but it's also an accurate answer. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and, and that, you know, in all honesty, I, I respect that answer because what is he going to say? Um, exactly. What can he say? So there was some discussion uh, in the offseason. I can't remember who reported it. I'm sorry. I just can't keep track of all this stuff that Ben Simmons, you know, left a text message chain or whatever when he wasn't going to play in game four of that series. Just to clean that up, he was asked about game four today. What did he say about that? That series against the uh, Celtics. Well, he said it, it just. It wasn't meant to be, basically. Didn't he, he just, say he like basically couldn't move? Yeah, I mean, he. he th- this is what is, is strange. Again, there's always layers with the Nets. Uh, I don't specifically remember him saying he couldn't move, but he he just said that he wasn't in the place where he was he was ready uh, to be out there. And and B, this is the issue that Simmons is going to have to uh, alleviate while he, he goes out there and plays. He wasn't ready physically. The back was an issue. He ended up having surgery. But remember, in that moment, it wasn't just the back. It was, hey, there, there are mental health concerns as well that, that he's dealing with. So uh, Simmons came across like a guy who just wants to kind of pl- get on the floor and, and stop the conversation. But as far as game four goes – the, the Nets obviously never felt like he was in the right place uh, that he needed to be. And moving forward now, they've got to decide, uh, can this guy show us when he is out there that he can be counted on day after day after day? And it's interesting bringing it full circle. Same question that you asked about Kyrie, because the talent for both guys is absolutely there. But you just don't know what's going on uh, with either of them on a regular basis. And then you throw in, of course, the situation with KD and what's happening with him. More to come from the Nets this season, Nick Friedel. Thank you for joining us, and we will be talking to you soon. Always, buddy. And get ready for that Buddy Cop series with Kyrie and I because it's going to be pretty awesome. By the end of the season, he doesn't have, you don't have to hug until the last day of the season. I, I, those were the rules that he put down. But between now and then, all, anything goes. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hitch, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit DirecTV.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Vivid Seats wants you to get to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seat Rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP, H-O-O-P. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live.
All right, now joining us from the Smoothie King Center, the SKC, as they call it down there, is our New Orleans-based NBA writer, Andrew Lopez. Andrew, one year ago, we had you on at the end of Media Day. I was in Brooklyn, where no good vibes, just like no good vibes here in Phoenix. Um, And it was quite a a scene. how long do they say that uh, Zion was going to be out, not to bring up a bad memory? Ready for the regular season. Zion Williamson himself said, I will be ready for the start of the regular season for the first official game. Did he say which regular season? I'm not no, he did not. <laughs> so what was today like in New Orleans, specifically with Zion? It was a, it was a much happier day. Zion Williamson was all smiles today. Uh, David Griffin was all smiles. It was kind of a funny part. Uh, Trajan Langdon, the general manager, went first. We asked him, hey, is there anybody else who is dealing with any injuries who will not be available for training camp in any sort of way? And uh, his first thing was, I'm going to let Griff handle that. Griff was coming up next. Griff, the executive vice president um, of basketball ops. And we asked Griff the question, and he said, well, Kyra Lewis is still dealing with his ACL. Larry Nance has a calf strain. He may be a day or two behind, but everybody else is fine. And it was a big relief considering the news was dropped on us last year. It wasn't as if we we got a release. It was just Griff just dropped it in his press conference. But Zion today was, you know, I, I know I said it on NBA Today last week that he, you know, looked like he was in the best shape of his NBA career. And I'm going to say just looking at him walking around today, he looked like he might be in the best shape of his NBA career. Um he looks good. Uh, Larry Nance even joked that he might have to go get one of those uh, one of those suits that the you know you wear if you're you're doing like police dog training, where you have to have all the all the different levels uh, on. I think that was where he, um, you know, where he kind of felt that uh, you know things were were going to go. So everybody had great things to say, and Zion himself is looking forward to getting back on the floor. Um, yeah, so um, we'll talk about some other stuff with the Pelicans first off. But what were what was your takeaway from what Zion had to say today? He, you know, he 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 seemed a little guarded today, and you know, he he kind of knew it was going to be questions about his body and questions about his his nutrition and and things of that nature. And he he answered everything you know very well. You know, talked about being in Fort Lauderdale for a few weeks with his team kind of, you know, prepping for the, for the season. And he said, there's, there's a couple of times where, you know, he's, he's talked to Nance and Garrett Temple, CJ McCollum, and obviously people with the Pell staff about, you know, his body. And he mentioned, uh, you know, there's a couple of times that he does some stuff in the gym and he's like, Oh, Oh, that's different. I didn't know I could do that. And I think for a guy who, what we have already seen him do for him to feel like, Oh, that feels different or, Oh, this can go somewhere else. I think that's a good sign. He uh, also mentioned, you know, just trying to fit back in with the team. Now the team looks a lot different than what it did the last time he took the floor. There's only five players who are on the court or who are on the team. The last time he played a game and that's Jackson Hayes, Kyra Lewis, who will not be, you know, playing to start the season, Billy Hernan Gomez, Najee Marshall and Brandon Ingram. So everybody else is, is different. Um, so he's got a little bit of a learning curve and, Willie Green said he's gone back, looked at film from, you know, Zion's previous seasons to see what is going to work. And I think everybody is kind of just 
focused on uh, a healthy Zion. So the last time we saw Zion, he was playing like um, a lot of point forward. Um, that was Stan Van Gundy's sort of uh, brainchild. Yeah. Um, and he was good at it. I mean, I'm not so sure he should have played it a lot, but they were kind of leaning into it. They've had a lot of transactions since then, including going out and trading for CJ McCollum. What kind of role do you think he's going to have this year? Are we going to see point Zion? I think we'll see bits and pieces of points on. And I don't think we're going to see full on, you know, he's the starting point guard. And I think that was maybe what they thought could have happened going into last season. Remember when they went out and signed Devonte Graham or did the sign and trade for Devonte Graham from Charlotte. A lot of that was we want to want Devonte to be the two next to Z. And since then, Jose Alvarado has kind of shown that he could be a one. You have Devontae who could still be a one. But the biggest thing is you made the trade for C.J. McCollum. And despite C.J. being a two for most of his career in in Portland, all of his career in Portland, I should say, except when he was the backup one, he is now the starting point guard for the New Orleans Pelicans. Is it, You're going to look at him more than likely. You're looking at a starting lineup, C.J. McCollum, Herb Jones, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, and Jonas Valanciunas. Um in that lineup, you have really four different guys who can get you into your offense. Um, the one guy that Willie said specifically would be handling the ball more and could be getting him into, into offensive sets more is Herb Jones. Um, and you basically are now you're just running the other three around and you're trying to get them in a certain spot. <laughs> I'm not sure. A year ago, I'm not so sure if you'd wanted Herb to dribble. <laughs> right. And, Herb, now, don't and, dribble. and, and now he's Herb, Herb uh, on Herb real quick. Last year in Summer League, Herb Jones did not start a game for the New Orleans Pelicans. He was brought in as their small ball five to close games. And over the course of what they saw in Summer League practices, what they saw in pre, uh, pre-camp pre workouts, he turned into you know a guy worthy of all defensive consideration. So the jump that Herb has made, uh, again, I asked Willie, I was like, hey, Herb Jones was the guy who stuck out last year who could make a jump. Who's Who's your guy this year who could do that? And he goes... Yeah, Herb Jones. Again, it's him. It's that guy. So uh, they're expecting big things from Herb. He can do some different things, initiate offense. I think you're going to see CJ is going to be the starting point guard. Jose and Devontae are going to play, you know, backup point. But I think you'll see Brandon handle it at times. I think you'll see a little bit of point C, but I don't think it'll be to the extent of which we saw uh, point Zion last year. All right. Let me ask you two more quick things before we let you go. One, CJ McCollum this week, or I guess last week, got a two-year, $64 million contract extension. Um, it's a lot of money for him, for his someone his age, but it wasn't a three-year extension or a four-year extension. Right. It, um, you know, uh, if you listen to this pod, you know that I, when I value, evaluate a contract, can it be traded? You know, can it be traded? Um, I'm not sure there would be like people leaping into that right now, but it's not like, I, I, I don't like recoil as I think if he had gotten a four-year extension, I might have. Right. Um, what was, what did he say today? And, um, you know, that was a big investment for this team. And I want to ask you specifically about something after you answer that. CJ said, uh, you know, when he was traded here, we talked about this in, in February, when CJ was traded to New Orleans, he kind of had some say 
in in where he was just based on his relationship with the Trailblazers organization. And when we asked him about the extension today, which which became official today, I think the release is going to come out shortly. But, you know, CJ talked about it. Griff confirmed it in his press conference this morning. Um, CJ said this wasn't a mistake in coming to New Orleans. This was, you know, by design. This was something that he thinks, you know, he envisioned himself being here long term. I think it is a small victory for the Pelicans to get him at 264 uh, to add on to his two years. I think he's now tied for four years, uh, 133 million. Um, It is a decrease in salary for him um, off of what he's making. So when you go into into those years, I think CJ, maybe more than any other player, uh, understands where the cap is going to be in a few years. He's the head uh, of the players union. Yeah, as the head of the players union. So I, I think he was he was trying to lock himself in and now he's locked in here for four years. You have, and I think this is I know where you're going with this next question. Zion is now locked in uh for for his five year deal. Brandon Ingram has three years left on his deal. CJ is no at four down. years. Four, CJ's at four, one thirty-three, uh, you know, going into the season. That's a lot of money that you have committed to those three guys right there. So David Griffin was asked about whether or not the the Pelicans would go into the luxury tax. As a background here, the Pelicans and Charlotte Hornets are the only two teams, the old Charlotte Hornets, (laughs) are the only two teams in the to not um, go into luxury tax in the history of the tax, which is now 20 years old. Sitting in the audience, I can't say that I can remember an owner sitting in the audience. It's I'm sure it's happened before, but it is not typical. But sitting in the audience for the press conference in the front row, I believe if I read correctly, the front row is was correct. Uh, owner, um, uh, Mrs. Benson, no one, you know, all the, all the Pelicans folks call her Mrs. Benson. Um, yep. uh, Mr. Mr. B and Mrs. Res- B. Now, now That's just right. Mrs. B. The late Mr. Mr. B. Um, uh, Gail Benson was sitting in the front row, and um, obviously that's her decision. So what did Griff uh, say about that? I, as the question was still being asked about the luxury tax or, or about the committing of the salary to, to C.J. McCollum, Griff quickly looked at Ms. Benson and said, uh, thank you, Mrs. B, for allowing me to spend this money. Uh, she just kind of smiled and nodded. And then he kind of goes into this question, which he has said, uh, several times before about, look, when it's time to pay the tax, we will pay the tax. We we have that commitment from Gail Benson. We have that commitment from the front office. Uh, when it is time to, I think in their mind, make the jump to compete for championships and when, are, when it's going to be worth it, uh, they're ready to do that. And I think that time is coming. I think that time is, you just look at the money on the books now. You have the CJ contract. You have the Brandon contract. You have Z's money. That's going to kick in next year. At some point, as the, we talked about Herb Jones, Herb Jones is going to be looking for money. Um, he's still, you know, he's only going into his second year off of his second round pay, uh, contract uh, that he signed last year, but he's going to be looking for money. You have JV uh, locked in. You have Devontae Graham on, on money on the books. It, it's going, you're going to have to pay that tax eventually if you're going to keep this core together or keep the the, the main guys together and try to compete. And I think they are, looking to 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 do that soon i don't uh, i don't know if it'll necessarily be next year uh when z's extension kicks in but 
Um, they are prepared to do so. And as obviously, uh, now we'll say this, Gail Benson did not sit there through all of media day. She did not sit through four and a half hours even of still, interviews. Even but, still, uh, she was there. She was kind of there <laughs> just for, I don't even know if she was there for Z. I think she was just there for the front office. Just one, even two, three, still, they, they it, get was, in, but. it was, it was, it was, notable that she came and yeah. was there for that and question so all right thank you mr lopez we'll be talking to you soon have a nice afternoon can we get food now yes let's go <laughs>
Um, and I appreciate Rob saying that. And I think you're right. I think he was speaking to Laker fans. Um, the second thing is what you just said. This is now the big conundrum. And this seems to now be to me what, what, you know, this is a lot of clarity in what Rob Palenka has been doing over the last couple of months. He's got this, you know, these two, you know, bullets to fire. And so whether you do them in one deal or whether you do them in two, um, they're pretty big. They're pretty important. And, you know, you're talking about a three-year window for LeBron, maybe a, just to be safe, say a two-year window, because he's not guaranteed in the third year, but certainly not just this season. So, you know, do you take a deal that moves you from being maybe the seventh best team to being the fifth best team? We've kind of talked about this in the past, but this is what you're saying. You're saying one in the hand versus two in the bush, basically, Dave, to use an old man phrase that I always use. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, I love that phrase, first of all. It's not used enough. <laughs> it's a great, it's, it, it should be. A you. There's, a, there's a, there's Hopefully a bush right some, behind you. <laughs> right. But yeah, it, it's a, it's a shrubbery of some sort. Um, yeah. But we have the idea here that the Lakers can kind of do one of three things, right? You make the move now and go for the Indiana package that we know that those teams have spoken. You, say that I did learn all that stuff last year about how Russell Westbrook fits in with this team, but let's just give him a chance with Darvin Ham and see if it possibly works. There's, there's two, and, and maybe it works well enough for us to not pursue a trade that would require us to move him and we just add to the roster with some more talent. Or I guess there's four. Three would be you ride out the season with Russ and let his contract expire, and you don't pursue any deals that would be bringing on money beyond right. this summer, because then you can have your free agency signing as one of your major plays there and hold on to one of your picks. Or, like you said, you maybe you split up the picks. You know, Rather than going for this major two-pick deal to get a clear-cut talent, because I've been told that, listen, had the Lakers been able to acquire – Kyrie Irving or the Lakers been able to acquire Donovan Mitchell, both those players, the Lakers were willing and able to move both those picks to acquire the deals available to them. They didn't feel like they could get back a player. That's such a difference maker, like either of those two. Right. So that's, that's what he's going to have to evaluate. Um, what did LeBron have to say today? I know he talked a little bit about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's record that he's on pace to break. Um, we used to break down his media day interviews by the syllable, Dave, because there would be like 11 things that happened over the summer that he would have to like, cause he wouldn't give any interviews over the summer. It's not, it's not quite like that anymore, but still we, we did carry his interview live on ESPN. So it's still important, but it's not quite the same as it used to be. Yeah. You know, honestly, I will say the thing that struck me about LeBron is that it was very much a refreshed attitude that he brought to today whatever unharmonious moments that existed last year, he seems to have shed himself of and is coming into this year with a fresh approach. It's year 20. You know, I spoke to him about what that may, means to him personally and what personal goals he has. And, and he was very much breaking things down to being process oriented. And it's like, I want to get better with this team day by day. And if we do that, we will start, figuring out who we are as a unit. And, and if we figure out who we are with this group of talent, that we'll have a chance 
to compete. Now, one thing that was interesting to me, last summer, you heard Rob Palinka saying, I'm obsessed with banner number 18 for this, cha- this franchise. And LeBron James told me he was as obsessed as ever when it comes to, you know, raising up Larry O'Brien trophy. Well, today LeBron told me he's looking to get back in the playoffs. And Rob Palinka <laughs> said, we're looking to compete and be competitive. And, and I think there's been a course correction within the organization to manage expectations of where they are right now. And, you know, it's one of the best things in life is to be able to exceed other people's expectations. So, so perhaps they're out. That's the route they're going for. Yeah. I mean, uh, if this Laker team made the playoffs, whether it was through the play in or outright, it would be a great season with what they've got. I mean, let's just be honest. I don't expect the team to look like this in February and I expect it to hopefully improve. Um, Russell Westbrook gave an interview to Woj that published um, Sunday um, that was quite a departure from the last time we heard from him in the spring where he torched Frank Vogel, said Vogel basically never gave him a chance, um, said the communication was poor. Um, His stance was completely different in the interview with Woj. He praised Darvin Ham. He acted like um, whatever the team needs, I'll do. Um, you know, when his agent, Thad Fauche, his ex-agent now parted ways with him and put out that statement where he still, one of the more amazing things that happened over the summer, where he basically said, Russ and I are complete disagreement on where to go with his career right now. Um, it did not give me hope that Russ was eyes were opening into his situation. This interview with Woj gave me hope that he was at least starting to grapple with the reality he's got. What did he say to you guys today? He said that whatever I'm told, I will do. And he said that he's been able to, from day one, establish a rapport with Darvin Ham, and having that connection is very meaningful to him. And that sounds great. Quite frankly, many people around the league, as I tried to understand Russell Westbrook by talking to former teammates of his, former coaches of his, what's it going to take for him to make this thing work? And a lot of people who like Russ and had Russ's best interests in mind said that part of the reason he was so great is part of the reason he's struggling right now is he's very strong-willed and stubborn. And it was clear that last year's team needed him to do things that he wasn't comfortable with in order to succeed. And thus far, he is talking like someone who is willing to accept these different roles that they like him to be able to achieve. Now, talk is cheap. And Darvin Ham, who also praised the relationship he's able to, been able to establish with Russ so far, made it very clear when he said that Yes, Russ has been awesome so far. He's been great in communication with our younger players. And he said he's going to be all about team and all about committing on the defensive end to make us as great as we can be. But if he does not do the things that we've talked about and keep that communication up during the regular season that we've already established, there's a whole lot of other options we have on our team with other directions we can go with personnel in place of Russell Westbrook. So I think it was the right mix of 
okay, let's let these guys have a fresh start and turn the page. But let's not pretend that last year didn't happen. And there should be some degree of skepticism that this can actually work out to the best degree that this utopian ideal that's been presented to us that Russell Westbrook all of a sudden is a great defender who's going to play a smaller role on offense than rather have the ball in his hands. Yeah, you're bringing up a fair point. Your point is you got to have buy-in and execution within the role, but it doesn't matter the execution if he's not got the buy-in and he didn't have the buy-in by his own admission after last season. So he is now on the record very clearly as having bought in. So now it is up to whether he can execute and whether he'll be held accountable um, for that. Um, Was there anything else today? I mean, I, I know Kendrick Nunn spoke about his injury that kept him out all of last year. Was there anything else that you think Lakers fans would be interested in, in hearing about um, about how what you heard from today? You know, we still don't know what's going to happen with the starting lineup, Frank, quite frankly. Uh, we don't know if it's going to be Damian Jones or Thomas Bryant. Uh, you know, both those guys are capable. I don't believe that it will be Anthony Davis as a primary starter at center. So, you know, that's something to consider as we move forward. You know, there's some minor uh, injury stuff going on here. Troy Brown's going to miss the start of camp with the back. Lonnie Walker turned his ankle a couple weeks ago. He's still dealing with that. I think probably the biggest news when it comes to their roster is Dennis Schroeder is not with the team. He's still in Germany. He's working through some visa issues. It didn't sound like there was anything that has the Lakers too concerned about when he does eventually report. Rob Plinka said it could be within the week. But considering he was the last guy signed to the roster, so he missed summer workouts with these guys, he wasn't a part of the team mini camp in San Diego, and now we'll miss the start of Darvin Ham's first training camp with the team. You know, that's not an ideal situation for someone who could be relied upon to play a lot of point guard for the team this year. Yeah. Um, he has been playing though. It's not like you're worried about him being out of shape. He was playing right. at a high level and playing pretty well. Um, but yes, with a new coach, that is something to worry about. Um, <clears throat> any, any explanation to the intrigue on why Palinka and Darvin Ham delayed their press conference by five days? They were supposed to talk last nice ones. I wish I had something for you there. I I, I still don't have a uh, a strong. Now why would they do that? For what that now why would they do that? Yeah, hey, um, I, I just know around the same time that occurred, we were hearing from um, the Pacers GM that Miles Turner will for sure be with the team to start training camp. So I don't know. Well, he's, he's been with the team to start training camp. We'll see what happens from there. Um, going to be an interesting season, Dave, uh, uh, going to be a very interesting training camp as I, uh, watch, I, by the way, before we go, um, I know Beverly and Westbrook are hard selling their new buddy cop drama. I think I saw today that did Beverly call Westbrook his best friend or Westbrook called Beverly. Beverly called Westbrook his best friend and then told me, you know, you you guys, the media, you guys have overblown that. And I go, Pat, it's all on tape. I'm not talking about anything off the court. Look at you guys being contentious. And he goes, well, that's just on the court. You know, now that I'm with him as a teammate, I, you know, come on. Why are you bringing up old bleep? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Okay. Well, look, uh, I respect the hustle. Bev's career has been built on. Hustle. I mean, if they I can be best friends, if they can be best friends, there's hope for me yet in this world. 
<laughs> All right, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you, Dave, for taking some time on a busy day. Thank you to Jackson, our producer. Thank you to everybody who joined us. We'll talk to you on the Hoop Collective later this week. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.